Welcome. This is Legal Wise with Ted Eccles, a show dedicated to helping you find peace of mind through being well-informed and up-to-date. We want to help you defeat procrastination and provide information on legal matters that matter to you. I'm Ted Eccles, attorney, and you can reach us at LegalWiseGA.com. If you have a legal question, or particularly an estate planning question, go to our website and write to us. We try to address questions that you, our listeners, will find interesting and helpful. You can also join us as part of our free virtual estate planning workshops. To register, give us a call, 770-506-9092, or visit our website at LegalWiseGA.com. We have a great lineup today on LegalWise with Ted Eccles. We'll answer listener questions regarding bank accounts in estates. Interrogatories, winding up a business, title insurance, we'll talk about adult adoption, powers of attorney, long-term care for veterans, and an interview with a special guest. So let's get started. Jessica has a question. She says, my mom recently passed away without a will. She has a bank account, but the bank says I can't access the account without something called letters of administration. What are those? Well, Jessica, I'm sorry for your loss. Dealing with the loss of a loved one is both emotionally and physically taxing. Reviewing papers, bank statements, making phone calls, and dealing with creditors is exhausting. When a person dies without a will but owns property, there is no one with the authority to manage that property until the probate court appoints a representative called an administrator. The document that is used by the court for that appointment is called letters of administration. Unless your siblings all agree, if you are appointed as the administrator, you'll likely be required to file an inventory with the court and an annual return. This return outlines all of your activity with the property in the estate, including the money in that bank account. Jessica, you'd likely benefit from the assistance of a lawyer that regularly practices in the probate area. I wish you well with the estate of your mother. Thanks for the question, Jessica. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. All right, Alex has a question. He says, I've recently been sued and the plaintiff has sent me something called interrogatories. What is an interrogatory? Well, an important question, Alex. Our civil justice system of resolving disputes is designed so that the vast majority of cases are resolved prior to an actual trial occurring. Resolution prior to a trial can only occur if the parties are required to tell the other side what evidence they have that is relevant to the complaint and the defenses. This exchange of information occurs during a six-month period following the filing of the answer by the defendant. It's called the discovery period. Some of the tools available during discovery are depositions, requests for documents, and questions, which are called interrogatories. Through interrogatories, each party discovers the names and addresses of witnesses, 
what those witnesses know, what documents or photos the other party has, and other evidence that the other party is aware of and may introduce as evidence. In theory and in practice, once the attorneys have a full understanding of the evidence that will be presented during the trial, the attorneys will be able to better advise their clients on the strengths and weaknesses of their case. This usually results in the case being settled. Only the rare case needs a trial. So answer those questions in a timely manner, Alex, because there is a time limit. Thanks for the question, Alex. If you have a question, go to LegalWiseGA.com. We have a question from James. He says, after retiring from my career five years ago, I took a few months off and then realized that I wasn't quite ready to retire. So I formed a corporation and started a business. Well, I'm tired of working now, and I want to end that business. Do I just stop? Well, James, many entrepreneurs who form corporations or even LLCs to conduct business are under the mistaken impression that you end the business simply by stopping earning money and getting rid of the assets that were part of the business. Sometimes this idea is reinforced because no tax return is required to be filed after the final year of business. But the Georgia Code provides a procedure for winding up a business enterprise that has been created by filing articles of incorporation at the Secretary of State. This winding up process provides notice to creditors and notice that's published in the paper. But it also provides protection to the directors and owners of that business. It's best to seek out the assistance of an experienced attorney to assist in closing up that business in the proper way. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles, and we're joined today with a special guest, Mishka Marshallin with uh, Calcon Mutual Mortgage. He's the branch manager. Thank you for joining us today, Mishka. You're welcome, Ted. Happy to be here. Great. Well, tell us, for how long have you been in the mortgage business? So I have been in the mortgage business for eight years now, and um, our office has a about 30 years of combined experience, but I have personally been in it for eight years. I started back in college, actually, part-time, and I have been in the, the pre-processing, the processing side of it, the originating side of it. So I've been in, in many different um, areas of the field. Great. Well, I know your experience and the experience of your team helps customers feel at ease as they're working through this process of getting a loan. So for those listeners who are thinking about buying a house, how important is it for them to be pre-approved? And what does that mean? Well, I think that it's everything. I mean, honestly, because you know, when you first start, it's pretty much really the first step. You really, I mean, 
we could be technical and say the first, first step is to examine your current financial situation, you know, cause you're contemplating about it. You're thinking about it. So you instantly are, you know, should have an idea of, okay, what, where is my credit at? How much money do I have saved? What's my current financial situation? But that pre-approval is really the first step. You know, you are not going to be able to go out and shop for homes you know, without really understanding and knowing a how much you're approved for, and then b you might be approved for a certain amount, but you don't want to shop for something that maybe isn't within the budget that you you want you know to stay in. So it is extremely important. I can't stress it enough. Yeah, well, I think it also helps when so that buyers can show sellers that their financing issues will hold up the process that they're ready to go. Exactly. It shows confidence and it shows preparedness and nobody will accept an offer without a pre-approval letter. I don't know, not one, one seller that would accept without a pre-approval letter. Yeah. Well, that's really important. Well, Mishka, some people have speculated that the record low interest rates have impacted the housing market. What are some tips for our listeners in navigating these interesting times? Well, I think that the word interesting is definitely the perfect word to use for it because it is interesting times. We have not seen rates this low. They are, these are record low rates. I mean, just back in 2018, rates were up in the fives. So now we have people getting locked in in the twos, the low threes, um, you know, there now we did hit a record low at the end of last year. I believe it was in December. So they are going up a little bit. But the thing is, with it being so low, this does encourage a lot of people to buy and take advantage of this great opportunity. But what we're seeing here specifically in Georgia, and I know many other markets, is that we have low inventory. So it's become quite a seller's market. And with that being said, you know, there's a lot of challenges that do come with that. Um, for instance, you know, sellers are having people offer over the amount that the home is worth. That is something that has become very common. And so that is concerning because you think about inflation in the housing market. You know, you think about, you know, okay, if we have all these homes on the market that are getting bought up, maybe for more than what they're worth, you know, what is that going to look like in the coming years? So it is challenging. Um, but I think that that goes back to just making sure that you do have the right team, someone who's experienced, um, obviously an experienced lender, as well as a very experienced real estate agent, because your agent is going to be, who's really going to, going to help you determine what to offer on the property. So, you know, you really don't want to go crazy and, you know, offer, $40,000 over list price, you know, and make these crazy, crazy offers that we are seeing today every day, you know, from maybe I would say the agents are a little bit less experienced. Mm -hmm. Well, with that being said, and I have heard of offers being made over the list price or, or the over the listing price, how challenging is it to obtain appraisals that actually will work with the loan and the purchase price when this is the market we're dealing with? It is challenging. 
And I'm going to say it's challenging when you do get in those scenarios where you're offering so much more than where the house was listed. This is where it becomes a vicious circle because now you see people offering, well, we'll get it for what it's listed for. We have seen buyers who have actually came up with the difference if the home doesn't appraise. That is something that has become very common. And I'm going to be honest with you. I don't necessarily advise that. I really don't. You know, what are the reasons you're buying a home? Yeah, sure, to have your own space, this and that. But ultimately, the goal is to, you know, have some type of wealth. And when you get ready to sell that home, you do want to see hopefully some type of return on your investment, you know, or receive some, some, you know, some type of money back. And if you're doing that where you're coming up with a difference of $20,000, $30,000 on a home, you know, and you're buying it for a lot less than what's worth, then it's possible that you might not get that when you go to sell the house. So yes, it is, the appraisal is, appraisals are an issue right now. They are, and it's specifically with those scenarios where the prices are being offered at significantly higher amounts. Now, that doesn't mean that you, this is not the market to offer low on. Now I'm talking about extreme situations. Now I have seen people offer a few thousand dollars over, $10,000 over even, but so yeah, I'm not saying, oh, well we wanna offer, cause if you offer lower, you're not gonna get the house in this market. But I'm just saying, be cautious, do your research, look at how the homes are selling in that area before you think about offering a large amount over what it's being listed at. Okay, very good. Hey, well, tell the listeners uh, what it means to lock in an interest rate and how does that impact the home buying process? Yeah, absolutely. So as you know, uh, rates are kind of a daily situation. You know, they kind of go up and down. They stay steady. Uh, But once you are getting ready, everything is an estimate. Everything is an estimate. That means you know, I have a lot of buyers that when they're getting pre-approved, they may ask, oh, well, well, what's my interest rate? And sure, I could tell you what it is and what it would be like for your specific situation to give you an idea, but you are not going to be locked into an interest rate until you actually find that property, you know, until you're actually contracted in and you find a property that you are going to close on. Now, once you do get locked in, That means that we have locked you in for that specific rate, you know, and uh, at that point, now I know some lenders may say, oh, well, once you're locked, you know, you can't change it. Now, yes, that is the case for, for most situations. However, some buyers like to lock in a rate and they kind of like to float. So they like to say, okay, well, I want to lock in a rate, but what if I can like, you know, if something becomes better? We can do that, you know, and I'm not going to get into the logistics of, you know, that is a little bit more costly because then we'll start getting into the road of how interest rates are priced, you know, and, and discount points and things of that nature. But to make a long story short, once you are locked in, that means that we have determined, okay, me and you, this is the rate that you want. We're going to lock you in and, and it's going to stay that way if the loan is fixed. Yeah. Locking in sounds like, um, you're ready to go. And then it moves over to the closing attorney and then picking that right closing firm, I guess, is an important decision too, isn't it? Yes. 
Yeah, so we're talking with Mishka Marcelin with the Calcon Mutual Mortgage. Well, Mishka, if a listener has a question about a home loan or is thinking about buying a house, how can they contact you with more questions? Absolutely. So they can contact me, um, you know, here at Calcon Mutual Mortgage via phone. I would probably say that's the easiest way. Um, and our, our phone number is 678 9930506. That would be the easiest way to contact me. Or if they have the information after the show, they can contact me via email at mmarslin, my first initial last name at calcunmutualmortgage.com. All right, and Marcelin is spelled M-A-R-C-E-L-I-N. Mishka, great talking with you today, and thanks for the great information. Thank you, Ted. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. Are you aware of the threats and predators that are relentlessly pursuing your assets? Join me, Ted Eccles, in a free virtual workshop where we'll discuss estate planning essentials and protecting your estate. To learn more, visit EcclesLawGroup.com and submit your request to take part in one of our weekly workshops. Eccles Law Group is committed to helping you find peace of mind. Chloe has a question. She says, I'm a first-time home buyer, and my lender is requiring that I purchase a title insurance policy for them. What is title insurance, and should I buy it to cover my interest? Well, congratulations, Chloe, on your new home purchase. Title insurance is a one-time payment, typically based on the purchase price of the property. When you purchase title insurance, the insurance company agrees to defend you if someone shows up later challenging your ownership. In addition, the title insurer will pay the attorneys to fight the battle for you. Most lenders require that they receive title insurance so that they don't incur those costs if there is a title problem. I would encourage you to go ahead and purchase a policy at the closing because you can typically buy that policy at a significant savings if it's in conjunction with the lender's policy on the same property. The peace of mind that you'll receive knowing that you have an attorney paid for to defend your title is often reason enough to buy that policy. Thanks for the question, Chloe. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. Sarah has a question. She says, my mom and biological dad divorced when I was a baby. My mom married my stepdad when I was five, and I have continued to live with them ever since. My brother was born after my mom and stepdad were married. My stepdad has always treated me as his own child, and he has wanted to adopt me, but my biological father would never agree to sign the papers. I am now 20 years old. Am I too old to be adopted by my stepdad? Well, Sarah, like you, most people are aware of adoptions of children who are not yet 18. 
The adoption of minors typically requires that the biological father either voluntarily surrender his rights or have his rights terminated by the court. In your case, an adult adoption is permitted under Georgia law so long as you consent and the person adopting you consents. The consent of your biological father is not required. In fact, he will not even be served or otherwise given notice by the court. While a petition is required, it is more streamlined and less complicated than a petition involving the adoption of a minor. Unless the judge determines there is a justifiable reason to deny the adoption, the judge will likely grant the petition. If you would like, you can even request that your name be changed in the same petition. After the adoption, you and your stepfather will have the legal rights and liabilities as parent and child. When he passes away, you will be treated as one of his heirs at law, and he will be treated as your legal father. As a word of caution, Sarah, by moving forward with the adult adoption by your stepfather, it will likely result in the severing of your right to be treated as a child of your biological father, which includes your right to be treated as one of his heirs when he passes away. Thanks for the question, Sarah. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. Mary has a question for Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. She says, my brother is very sick. He is single, and all of his children live in other states. I want to help him, but every time I call a doctor or one of his creditors, they state they can't talk to me about his issues. What can I do? Well, Mary, your brother is fortunate to have someone like you willing to help him out. Many folks, like your brother, have always taken care of their own affairs. With some, they don't want other people, even family members, knowing their business. This can work out all right unless a person develops a physical or mental condition that limits their ability to conduct their affairs. It is a difficult step for an independent person to allow another to gain access to their financial and property matters. Nevertheless, at some time or another, most of us will need some help. If a person waits too long, they will not have the mental capacity to appoint a person, and a loved one will be required to ask the probate court to appoint them as the person's conservator. The conservator is a person directed by the court to look after the property of an incapacitated adult. The process of having a conservator appointed is lengthy and expensive. If your brother is still competent to make decisions, it is much more cost-effective for him to have a power of attorney drafted, appointing the person of his choice to serve as his agent. This person will be authorized to communicate with financial institutions, access bank accounts, and perform other services that your brother authorizes. You can assure your brother that with the help of an experienced attorney, your brother can draft a power of attorney that is tailored to meet his specific circumstances. He can also be assured that a person of his choosing would be looking out for his property rather than a person selected by a court. Thanks for the question, Mary. If you have a question for Legal Wise with Ted Eccles, go to LegalWiseGA.com. Growing up, one of the highlights of my breaks from school was my family's frequent trips to visit my grandparents in South Georgia. 
My grandfather always made time to play checkers with us or have the bikes available for us to use. As a junior high student, my grandfather taught me to tie a tie. A year or so later, one of my English assignments was writing a lesson on how to do something. Because of the methodical teaching of my grandfather regarding the double Windsor, I elected to teach my class the art of tying a tie. I received stellar marks. My grandfather was a veteran of World War II and the Korean War. He loved the Army. He always had well-shined shoes and perfect posture. He would take us over to Fort Stewart to go fishing to play golf or pick up supplies at the commissary. For medical care, he would travel to Fort Gordon in Augusta. On one of his trips, he became aware of the Georgia War Veterans Home. This home is essentially a nursing home available for war veterans in Georgia. Well, after viewing it, my grandfather told our family that if he needed to go into a nursing home, he wanted to spend his time at the Georgia War Veterans Home with other soldiers. In Georgia, we love our veterans. If you are a veteran or the spouse of a veteran, I urge you to check out the various benefits for which you are eligible. You may not need a nursing home right now, but determining if that is an available option could be a great benefit as you plan for retirement and funding your long-term care needs. My grandfather lived to be 100 years old. The benefits available to him and the time he invested in seeking out and planning for his future enabled him to receive the care he needed and preserve some assets for the benefit of his children when he passed away. Everyone's circumstances are different. With the right kind of planning, we can protect our assets for the benefit of our family and provide for the long-term care that we need. You're listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. If you have a question, go to LegalWiseGA.com. You've been listening to Legal Wise with Ted Eccles. I hope you've enjoyed the show. If you have any questions or want more information, contact us at LegalWiseGA.com or give us a call, 770-506-9092. While legal advice can help, we know that true peace is found through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us next week as we answer more interesting questions from listeners just like you. The information, comments, and opinions expressed in Legal Wise with Ted Eccles do not constitute legal advice. The topics discussed and opinions given are general in nature and not intended to create any legal relationship or opinion about specific circumstances. No attorney-client relationship has been or will be formed by any communication or legal discussion, and no representation is made regarding your particular legal rights. For legal advice, contact an attorney actively practicing in your jurisdiction. Music